Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast by Wales Online. I'm your host, Ben James, and I'm joined, as ever, by Stefan Thomas. Steph, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, very well, thanks. How are you, Ben? I'm good. I'm good. We're uh, It's quite late in, in Cardiff, but we're, we're doing it for a very special reason, because we've got a, a very special guest. I'm delighted to say we are joined by a former Wales and New Zealand coach, a World Cup winner and a rugby coaching great, Sir Steve Hansen. Steve... How are you doing? Yeah, really good. And uh, thanks for staying up late to talk to me. Um, we did organise to go earlier, but unfortunately something happened here. We had to go and plant some trees. So we've done well and stick into it. Well, I'm just glad that the weather's good enough to be planting trees where you are because it's, it's wet and yeah. windy in Cardiff. I, I can't imagine that's, that's one thing you miss from your time in Wales. No, no, the weather was never that great, was it? No, it wasn't. What is it you're up to now then, uh, Steve, apart from gardening? Uh, I'm sort of semi-retired. I've, um, I've got some consultancy jobs, uh, various rugby organisations, one of them being Toyota Verblitz. Blitz. Um, I'm the director of rugby there, spent about six months. Over the next uh, year, I'll be up there working with um, two young coaches and the team. Uh, my role is basically helping the coaches uh, strategize on the recruitment and and basically bringing the the club into on um, you know, the professional era. Fantastic, and and as we sort of said to you before we we went on air, this you know pod will be talking about the World Cup and going taking trip down memory lane. In many ways, there's there's many parallels, aren't there? You know, as we're recording this, Wales are a play in the the final World Cup warm up game tomorrow. I mean. You know from experience how stressful those occasions can be, don't you? Yeah, well, I was lucky enough to go to five World Cups, so um, there's no guarantee you're going to win any. You know, they're hard to win. And um, yeah, this time you've got your team sorted. You're trying to get some game time into them, but at the same time you don't want people to get injured, uh, which invariably will happen. Um, you have to expect it to happen, but you're hoping it won't. I mean, t- take us back to uh, 2003 um, and that sort of that that period before the, the World Cup. I believe, was it the Scotland game? Well, the, yeah. the, the, the final warm-up game. I mean, well, like we had to make changes and, um, you know, we were working hard on trying to get players fit out, more skilled, more game understanding. And uh, when you do that, um, you don't always get the performances you want, but the work ethic from the guys was unbelievable. And um, we had a really tight group uh, that were working really hard. Um, but obviously, uh, we had all these pre-season um, friendly test matches. And we tried not to make them formal test matches. We tried to ask them to be uh, friendlies and because we had to be working so hard physically. And uh, the rugby union, to their wisdom, they didn't want that. And uh, we had outlined the program to them and said, OK, well, I'm not changing the program because the World Cup's more important than these games. And uh, so the top team played once. They played England and basically played England B. But they had a week of training, which you wouldn't normally do for for a test match. Uh, you know, we worked them really, really hard. They went into the test match fatigued. Um, played like that, and we got beaten, and it was a hell of an uproar because it was England. And 
in a you know show. Then we got a visit from Dave Moffat, and Dave was good. He we hummed it hard around it. In the end, I said, "Look, we don't beat Scotland. You can sack me." He goes, "Well, uh, I think I actually said Romania." Because we were playing them on the Tuesday, and it's how ridiculous the program was. We were playing a test Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, three tests, and uh, he said, "Oh no, not Romania, uh, possibly Scotland." And I said, "Okay, well that's fine. Um, how about you go back to your office and you spend your time trying to work out who's going to take over, and I'm going to carry on doing what we're doing here and uh, trying to work towards what we're going to you know, try and do." So that's what we did. Uh, I didn't tell anybody. Well, I didn't tell my wife, didn't tell the team or anything, but uh, Alan Phillips had overheard the conversation from the next-door office, and he must have told the boys. And, and uh, yeah, the boys dug pretty deep. It was ugly win against Scotland, but we got the job done and managed to stay, and then off the World Cup we went. Steve, can I just ask? So before coming on this podcast, I, asked, I won't mention the guy's name, but I asked somebody who was really high up in Welsh rugby at the time, about your reign as coach, he's he, this bloke is a big fan of yours, and he said, um, even though I thought he was a compliment, big compliment of myself. He said, even though rugby went pro, what was it ninety five or ninety six? It was Steve Hansen that took Welsh rugby professional. Did, did did it feel that way when when you came over to Wales? I know Graham Henry had been your first, but obviously we were in a bit of a mess when you took over. And um, you know, did, did you feel that you really had to sort of drag Welsh rugby into the professional era? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Simply put, yes, was the answer. I mean, um, if you if you if you look at take all the emotion out of it, winning and losing, and take that out of it, and you look at what what was happening at the time, uh, we had so many professional players, um, but we didn't have the talent to have that many. Uh, so, and and that because of that, we had we were destroying the pathway of the talent that we did have because they had two options. They could go left and follow a, a very good role model or they could go right and follow a poor role model. And straight away, if you go right, you know, you're losing half the talent. So we worked hard on changing attitudes and we wanted people to put the team first rather than themselves. There's been a lot of people putting their hands out. It was also a period when we had some great players who were coming to the end of their career and uh, we had, you know, injury and, and not what, and so forth. So we had to make hard decisions. Um, would I make all the same decisions? Probably not because experience tells you, you know, you learn from some things. But I don't, I don't have too many regrets about what we did. Like we set out to say, we want to be able to create a team that can go on and win not just one test match but many test matches over a long period of time. And, you know, I got massive satisfaction out watching, uh, you know, the guys win the Six Nations a year after we left. So, you know, for me that was a vindication of, of the hard work we'd put in. Um, and the players, you know, so happy for them because they did work their butts off and, uh, now, we had a reasonably successful time at the World Cup in 2003. Um, some people wanted to have celebrations when we got back. Some people in the rugby union, I said, no, no, we haven't achieved anything yet. You know, but we, ha- we, we have achieved something, but we haven't achieved anything worthy of a party. So just relax and uh, give yourself an uppercut on that one. But um, That's sort of where we were at the time. You know, there was our board members were... were uh, 
pretty much singing about themselves. Uh, and a lot of players, both in and out of the squad, who were thinking about what's what's in it for me, uh, rather than okay, let's do this for Welsh rugby. Let's let's work hard. Let's try and get better. And um, but we got there, and and you know it was a hell of an experience uh, getting there. So was there a lot of resistance to the to the change you wanted to bring into Welsh rugby in terms of? You know, you wanted to make it more professional, so that that obviously means that you know you've got to turn things upside down. So I imagine you, there must have been some sort of resistance to what There's you were trying. Resistance to change. Hmm. You know, people don't like change because they're scared of it. Uh, the only people that like change are the people that are going to benefit from it. And yeah. if you think you're not going to benefit from it, well, well, I'm not interested in that. But we're very lucky we had. Uh, Dave Moffat was forward thinking um, and he managed the administration side of it and, and the players as I said the players brought in um, some reluctantly but most of the, you know, by the time we were got to the end everybody was in hot um, sinking so you know, we, we had moments where like Alfie we, we cut him from the squad and he's probably our best athlete Alfie and having that cut him um, because he he wasn't going where we wanted him to go, um, yeah, really hurt us for a while from a, a playing point of view. But when he came back, he was just sensational. And I mm. realised that if he wants to be part of it, he had to contribute, be the leader that he's capable of being. And you know, we all know his story, and you know that probably didn't help him, but uh, get his head where he needed it to be in those early days. But Oh, I was so proud of him to be able to come back and be the man that he's become and, and the rugby player that he's become. He went on to captain the Lions. And... So speaking about those um, sort of rallying against professionalism, was the, the, the trip to Lanzarote, that was before the 03 World Cup, wasn't it? And that was when you put them in self-catered accommodation. Uh, yeah, and we tried that out because we wanted to do it in uh, in um, Australia, and we went to we were going to go to uh, have a base in um, Canberra. If you've been to Australia, Canberra is probably the least much inviting place you want to go to. But anyway, that's where we got stuck, and uh, we played a lot of our pool games there, and we. We wanted to take home on the road, knowing the boys the way they were. And rather than living in a hotel for so long, we, we went into self-servicing um, apartments and uh, teamed everybody up with um, two-bedroom apartments, so two guys each apartment, and then uh, every floor there was two apart- uh, four apartments, so there were six guys on each floor. And we managed to um, get our daily allowance uh, sorted so that Breakfast was provided, uh, lunch was provided, and then um, uh, we did a couple of other things that allowed us to get sponsored. Um, well, the lunch got sponsored by the rugby club where we trained. Uh, Alan and I wasted a, a talk there uh, over the course of that the time we were in um, Canberra. So they provided lunch, and then, of course, we had money for dinner. So and we, we did a lot of different things, and... Um, you know, I, was, I think it was one of the things that brought us close together and helped us have the World Cup that we had. Weren't a few of the boys spending it 
spending some of the money on baked beans and then managing to pocket <laughs> the change. Oh, well, you know, the, as long as you're eating well, you can do what you like. Well, I don't care. I think Tom Shanklin was doing that, and I think he realised when his weight started to drop by the end of the week that he had to... Uh, <laughs> yeah, had to work it out. Change his weight. That's part of growing up too, isn't it? Like, Shanks was a lovely man, and, and uh, you know, he'd come down from London, and he obviously thought, you know, he needed a to get back to London, but he worked out that rugby league, what was right for his rugby was more important. And, and there are little lessons that everyone picked up along the way. Eventually, we had a group of men who wanted to prepare really, really well to play Saturday. Um, and then, you know, then you've got a chance. Because I think, I think that was the same training camp. Was there a big night out on the first... On oh, arrival, can't remember. It's long got time ago now. <laughs> I think. I think my understanding was there's, there was three three players who didn't go out. I think it was Mark Jones, Mevin Davis, and Sonny Park. And I think you you might have split the first training group between those who did go out and those who didn't. <laughs> well, no, no. Well, again, another lesson, wasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you, you talk about lessons. You know, you know, for yourself, how how much do you learn from your time in Welsh rugby? Because we call it the goldfish bowl, and obviously, you know, I was a kid at the time; I wasn't a journalist then. But um, you know, I remember that some of the criticism being quite um, vociferous and quite unfair from the public and the press towards you, because obviously, people see things; they only see results, whereas you obviously were. You know, you you obviously knew that you were building something special, but was that was that quite tough, tough on you personally? The um, some of the criticism you got when when results weren't going your way, specifically the the whitewashing all three. You'd like to say no, it wasn't, but it wouldn't be being honest. But it's not something I dwelt on. That is being honest. Like I, I'd rather that the criticism was coming at me rather than the players. And, and uh, you know, we had a funny little setup back in Wales in those days where the game had been amateur. We're coming into the professional window. There was a lot of people who didn't want success for the Welsh team because it was going to take away some of their livelihood uh, in, in the media and so forth because that's how they, you know, they were making their money. So... Uh, they wanted to be negative as hell because they didn't want this. You know, our problem was we had some good rugby players who had no self belief, hadn't had uh, the systems that allowed them to to be skilled enough or fit enough to play the game that they were capable of. So that took time, and I knew that. During that time, we were going to get criticised a lot. I just didn't want any more confidence being taken out of the player. So, you know, if you want to have shots at me, then have shots at me. I didn't particularly care too much. Um, yeah, but your wife and your mother and your family do—they they feel it. But, but um, I stonewalled it pretty much and just kept charging through. Would I have done everything and? You know, like I, I was the head coach only because Graham had left. I hadn't come to Wales to be a head coach. Was I ready to be the head coach of a national team at that point? No, I wasn't. But 
you know, what you do when they say, look, we need you to do this job. You don't walk away from it. You just do it the best way you possibly can. And and um, did I make some mistakes? Most definitely. And did we get most things right, though? I think we did. And, and we got to a point where, you know, we had a team that the country could be proud of and the players could be proud of their own performances. And as I said, they won the Six Nations on their, you know, the, the very season after we left. So we'd got it to a point where it could turn around and be something we could all be proud of. And, uh, you know, that, that, that was the point of me being there. You could argue that you, you sort of put your, your own coaching reputation on the line to get Welsh rugby back on track because obviously, you know, you had to move some experienced players on like, you know, Rob Howley, Scott Connell, people like that. So you kind of went backwards to go forwards. Was it a bit like weird because you you didn't stay around to sort of benefit from the hard work you'd done because obviously they won the slam two years later, a year after you left, sorry. Was that, was that a bit, bit of a regret? I was always going to leave because I... I um... I had two daughters back in the two young daughters back in New Zealand who I promised I'd only go for the time that I went for. So that was always going to happen. Uh, I've always believed that you've got to put the team first and the individual second. So I can't say that and then not do it for myself. So while making decisions based around what's going to make me look good may not necessarily be what's right for the team. So we didn't go there. We just we made all our decisions based on how we could make that team better. And um, did we get them all right? Probably not. But as I said before, we got a lot of them right and we were able to make the improvements we, we needed to. Um, you talked about having to move some people on. Well, you know, Scotty, uh, we had to, to let him go eventually, but Scotty's body was knackered. The guy that we didn't want to go was Rob Alley, but Rob, uh, I didn't take Rob to South Africa and I tried to explain to him uh, that it wasn't because we didn't believe in him and it wasn't because we didn't think he was good enough. It was because he had an injury and we wanted to get it right. So we were prepared to sacrifice uh, to get him right by not taking him. But he he didn't understand that at that time. He's now become a coach and, and uh, we've had a couple of beers and a discussion around that and, and a bit of a laugh because he now understands what we were trying to do. But at the time, I probably didn't explain it well enough or... He, he didn't want to hear it, whatever it was, but um, he would have been good if we'd kept him if we wanted to. And he was you know, a world-class act. But the other guys, it was just time. And, and as I said, I mentioned about Alfie. Like we, we were forced to let him release him from the squad for a while until you know, some of his um, habits changed. Because it, you know, we need he, everyone looked at him as a leader, but yet he didn't want to be a leader. Uh, and it wasn't until he decided that right, I'm in, and I'm going to put the team first that we we took him back. And as I said, you know, couldn't be prouder of how we went. And marvelous athlete. One guy you you didn't pick until well, very much anyway until the end was was Shane Williams. Um, do you ever have any any tough conversations with him? Um, was it similar with him to, to what you had with Alfie that you had to tell him some home truths so he could sort of, you know, actually do what needed to be done to to get to the sort of world class level he eventually reached? Um, well, every conversation you have with a player when they're not getting selected stuff, 
because you understand you're taking away his dream. And and um, yeah, there was a number of people I, I I took away their dream. And same thing in the All Blacks when I coached them. There's a lot of people that didn't get in. Um, and, and you know Shane uh, early on, uh, I didn't think was was big enough. Now did I get that right or wrong? Uh, you know, well, I guess history would tell us I got it wrong. Um, however, uh, you know. We took him to the World Cup and, and never looked back. So a little bit of that adversity may have, I don't know if he'd be vulnerable enough to say that that helped him become better or not. Um, but you know, I'm happy to say that we did eventually pick him and we got it right in the end and and he's a wonderful player. Yeah. And you look at the, the 2003 World Cup, you look at that game against the All Blacks, um, what, what, what do you remember you know, about that game? Was yeah, there ever a media, yeah, all the media um, telling us yeah. the white flag. I think uh, uh, Jonathan Davis was into me about you know, you're running the white flag up, you can't do that. And I said, oh, I don't think they are. Tell me that after we played. And, um, you know, it was one of those games where we'd been training really, really well, but we weren't getting the point where we're implementing what we've been training and, you know, before that game kicked off, bang, bang, I think they snotted us a couple of uh, early tries and and the boys thought, shit, bugger it, let's just go. And they, they let go all the all the things that were inhibiting them and then they just went out and played the way we'd been training. And, you know, it was a wonderful game. Like, uh, hadn't been, they missed a forward pass down the short side and when the Marshall forward passed, I think it was to um, Spencer, and and they scored, and that sort of turned the tide late in the game. But you know, we had long periods of, of that game where we had them absolutely on the ropes. Yeah, and you very nearly denied England the World Cup, didn't you? Because uh, you know they, they always say that Mike Cat turned the game in the second half, but you that 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 was that was a real chance. Gone, gone back, and wasn't it the the qualifying yeah. of the future? Yeah, well, again, that you know, you get put in a situation where you know you're not used to winning, and you get to that point where hey, we can win this, and then it goes past that point. Well, hey, we're not meant to win this, but we could win this, and your mind starts playing. Um, you know, I've got no doubt if we'd if it had been two or three years later down the track, we'd have, we'd have won that game. But, you know, we outscored them one three tries to one, I think. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we had Wilkinson on the ropes and they brought Mike Cat on. He played really well and I managed to kick them out of it. So, it's one yeah. of those. But, again, it was another good learning curve for us. And, uh, England probably underestimated us a wee bit as well. Is it true that when Wales won the Grand Slam in 2005, that the Welsh players were ringing you. Obviously, it would have been the early hours of the morning in New Zealand. You know, thanking you for what you did for them. Is that is that true? Or is, is that just? Uh, no, true? I thank me. I think there were a lot of uh, fun. Yeah, a lot of happiness. As I said, look, and I've, I've said this many times. Uh, that group win-loss ratio wasn't great. However, that group would be the tightest group I've ever been involved in any coaching team or coach. 
because uh, you know the adversity brings you tighter. And the work rate, work ethic was tremendous, and the the will and the want to be better was tremendous, and it, it just created a lovely tight bunch. Speaking of adversity, it's it's funny how these things seem to sort of work in cycles, and there's there's so many parallels between you know this year and 2003. You know, a tough Six Nation, the sort of bringing through youth and and sort of the old guard going out, but also there was the threat of strike action. We've had it in Wales once again this year. I don't think it was quite, you know, it was, it was dramatic. You know, me and Steph clocked in a few hours that week, you know, trying to work out what's going on. There weren't any planes missed like there, like there was in 2003. What, what, what are your memories of of that just sort of crazy time? Oh, well, the players weren't happy and, and oh, they wanted oh, the support of the rugby union uh, and so they were prepared to stand up for it. And, and I'll always support the players when it comes to uh, whatever they're doing, as long as it's fair and reasonable. And, and uh, you know, I felt it was fair and reasonable. You've got to hear them. Uh, first, to be able to hear if it's fair and reasonable. So you can't bully them into doing stuff. And it um, doesn't matter what rugby nation it is and they'll, uh, you know, the same things just recently happened here with Silver Lake with the with the All Blacks. You know, the rugby union tried to say, "Well, this is what we're doing," and they said, "No, we don't agree with it." And and there was a lot of you know work of no planes missed, but a lot of work done behind the scenes from um, you know members of the All Black team. So that group, no different. They were adamant about what they needed, wanted wanted to be heard mostly and, and therefore they got that platform and um, there was no point leaving until such time as, you know, they had been well, you, you can't resolve the issue. Do you feel it sort of maybe helped to forge a bond in the squad? Oh, there was already a tremendous bond in that group. You know, like uh, the adversity that comes with losing and all the all the keyboard warriors that you know know more about it than the people that are actually involved. Um, they 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 force you get top because they you know you're getting hit left right whether it's fair or not it's irrelevant. You, you that's what happens and that's why it's called adversity. It's it's a tough time. And how do you deal with adversity is you know, really important. Net, let it happen. We stand up and keep fighting, and you know that's what they chose to do. Yeah, obviously, um, uh, during your time in Wales, um, you know there was a lot of politics. Well, there's still politics going on now, but you know w- we were at that stage in Welsh rugby, as you said earlier, um, where things had to change. You know, if, if we were going to have a successful test side, thing things really had to change in terms of the structure. Um, do you remember what do you remember of that period where um, about 2002 where David Moffat was was really aggressively trying to push change, and we were going to go to to regions, and you know there was a debate over the amount of teams, who was merging with who, who was getting cut. How difficult was that? And what were your general memories of that period? Well, there's there's a lot of memories, and you know, like if you always do what you always do, you're going to continue to get what you always get. So we had to do something that was going to revitalise the game. There was a huge amount of money being spent 
um, had um, English players, administrators with their hands out saying, what's in it for me? And and then we have uh, one of the things that I think is pretty unique to Wales, and that's tribalism. And uh, that that was all about, well, no, we can't do this because we might not be involved. And rather than taking the attitude, right, well, this will be actually better for Welsh rugby if we can reduce the number of professional players to X amount of teams, we continue having a program underneath so we don't lose our identity of the clubs that we've got, um, and we, we, we have a pathway that allows us to produce, you know, great rugby players. And a similar thing, um, I think, happens in Australia at the moment. Well, they've got uh, five um, super teams and they should only have three. When Australian rugby was strong, they had three. They had the Brumbies, New South Wales and Queensland. Now, I get the fact that you, they need to promote rugby. Darwin and, you know, Perth and Darwin. But there's another competition underneath that that they can do that. And, and you know, they've got us, New Zealand, where you could create uh, at, at that lower level uh, an opportunity to play games against New Zealand teams and, you know, that aren't super teams. Anyway, digressing from Wales. So Wales, I think, has got the same issue in that you've got so many... We had too many clubs playing, and then I, I remember having a conversation, uh, I won't name why, but, you know, three hours going round and round in circles. And in the end, I said, well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk this through. None of what you're telling me is logical. You've agreed to that. So tell me the real reason why we can't do it. And he said, well, because if we, we might not be part of it. And that sort of sums it up. You know, that, 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 that great strength, that great uh, pride you get from where you come from and, and tribalism is also a weakness. And in this case, it was a massive weakness because it didn't allow us to go where we needed to. So we ended up, I think, did they have four? Well, we had five and then the Warriors went. We got, we got four now. Yeah, and you probably should still have three, which is what we tried to get at the start. No, the, yeah. first, the first one went out the window within months, didn't it? It broke. Just under a year, I think. Yeah. So, so what, 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 did you, what, what, did, what was your ideal structure? What did you want at the time as, as national coach? Um, well, I wanted a competition that was going to create uh, the need for players to be absolutely fit, absolutely uh, put under pressure, or skills tested. And no, no wriggle room for being a poor professional. So, you know, what creates a performance on Saturday is what you do from Sunday to Friday. And if if I can still get selected and go out drinking and and you know eating five pork pies and and pints and pints of beer, well, it's not conducive to being a professional athlete. You know, and then. Then I'm, you know, I'm in the Welsh team because there's no one else to pick. So the young fellow that comes through and he says, "Oh, well, 
player X that he, he, he drinks like a fish and he eats whatever he wants and he's probably about two stone overweight. Oh, well, that's probably that's what you've got to do to be a wealth player. Yeah. So straight away, there's not, you know, you, you're dragging away your pull of talent. So what I wanted was competition to get a contract. Yeah. Other than having a competition that gave everyone one, you've actually got to fight to get one. You're in the yeah. right to be a professional player and you're in the right through what your actions are. So, so how, how so you wanted three professional teams to do, at the, not not five. So, which three would you have had? Well, see, I, I didn't have a which three. Oh, my program would have kept what we had, and then pick three teams, call them A, B, C. Yeah. And so, right, they're going to represent us in the Heineken Cup, or they're going to represent us in whatever you know programs we had. Yeah. And then share all the money that whatever was won, because it would be owned by the union, share all that back to the clubs. Yeah. The whole thing has to be self fed back into the clubs to keep it generated. Like the New Zealand model and the Irish model have re- proven to be the right model if you want success. Like, I'll be number one in the world, we'll be number one in the world most of the time. I think South Africa is very similar to us. So, there's no, there's no third party person owns the business because it's not about his ego or her ego saying, oh, I want to win the competition, so I'm doing what I want and stuff the national game. It's all about the top of the tree, working our way down that tree till we get to the bottom of it. And, you know, so if you're at that bottom of the tree, you, you might be a, a club in the back blocks of somewhere who's, who's giving young Boys and girls, the opportunity to play football, but that's you know that you're not you're not paying a fortune to do that. You're just doing it on a voluntary basis. Yeah, and and when your when your athlete gets good enough to go further up, he does and she does. Yeah, and it's always been the way. I'm sure you've you've probably got more exciting things to do in your spare time than than follow Welsh rugby. But do do you still follow Welsh rugby? And if so, what what? What do you make of the state of the regional game today and, and, and the national team? Yeah, look, I, I'll, I'll always follow it because it's got a little bit of my heart. You, know, you, don't, you don't get smacked from pillar to post and, and stay in the fight and, and, and you don't share the bond that you share with the players. Uh, you know, like I run into any of those boys now, it's like we've always, there's a bond. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, of course. So, so you're always going to keep an eye on it. Uh, what do I think? I don't think the union has looked after the the, the, um, the professional side of the game well enough. They haven't put money enough money back into it, um, and now they've got problems because of it. You know, a lot of players have started to head off shore because the money's better. Yeah. Like if you want, if you want to, the whole idea of having franchises so you can be winning competitions with them. But to win yeah. competitions, you have to provide them with with an asset that uh, allows them to do that. That asset is quality players. So you've got to spend money on on uh, developing players and you've got to spend money on keeping the ones you got. Uh, Welsh Rugby, I don't know where they put all the money, but they've got plenty of it when they did that. Um, you know, so they now got to a point where they're saying, well, we've got to cut the wages. And 
you know, what are they doing that right across the board? No, they're not. So, yeah, you know, they've got to look at their systems, I reckon, and be a little smarter. Um, yeah. And I'll get criticised for saying that. I get criticised all the time, so don't worry. <laughs> um, I always get criticised for the next point, but so many people in the game have, have brought this up and um, I have a feeling you might as well. Do, do, do you think Wales should should go down to three teams? Um, you know, is, is, is our player pool good enough? Is there enough quality professional players for, for four teams? Is it the same sort of argument as we had back in 0203, do you think? Well, it's not unless they're going to fund them to be strong. You know, so so there's two ways of doing it. You fund your good Welsh boys who stay at home and get paid properly. Mm-hmm. Well, if your team still aren't strong enough, then you've got to go and bring some foreign players from the likes of England, Ireland, you know, France. They do what the French do, do what the English do, do what the Irish do. Like, Irish have got plenty of foreign players on their group. Yeah. But, but who's funding that? Irish rugby is. They pay the players' wages. So they got to make a decision. to make a decision. What what is it we want from this competition? You know, do we just want it to be something that's there, but we don't want to pay for it? And if that's your attitude, it's going to go down with a gurgler. Or actually, no, we want it, and we want it to. The purpose of it is to create great Welsh rugby players. So our Welsh rugby plan can be you know, the number one team in the world. Well, that's, that's what they should be aiming for. Now, to do that, you need to keep developing players. And to keep developing players, you need what? Talent, money, and coaching. Which both talent and coaching require money. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and like you've got a wonderful stadium. How much do they make every time they play a game? Ben knows the answer to this, too. No, I don't, actually. Um, not, not off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember how much it was. The figure's gone, but put it this way, losing, losing the England game in the Six Nations would have been a catastrophe. I forget the, I forget the exact figure, but... That's the one, and, and you've got TV rights as well. You've got, like, there's got to be a lot of money. I'd hate to think what the money going in is. And if the money going out's more than what's coming in, what's it being spent on? That that's the challenge. You open up the box and show us what you're spending the money on. Yeah. Um and uh and is again, remove all the emotion and, and say, right, okay, what's our purpose? We are a rugby uh business or business is about developing players, coaches. You know, like we shouldn't have to have a foreign coach coaching Wales. There's enough rugby brains in Wales to be able to have a local guy doing it. But are they are they supporting the growth of coaching talent? You know, I don't know. I haven't been there for a long time, but they're questions I'd be asking. Yeah. Do Do you think that um, obviously we had Wayne Pivak lost his job, Warren Gatton has come back? You know, what what, what do you make of that situation? Um, do you think Warren's the right man for Wales in the long run? He has been once. Hmm. But I don't know if he's going to be the right man a lot. Yeah. I will tell. And, and, um, but he, he's been successful once, so he knows how to be successful. 
And yeah. you talked earlier about uh, the commonality between um, us early and in the 2000s when we had such so many great players coming in and their runs. Well, probably the team in the same situation. You know, you've got a lot of great players who have, and you know, he's made some tough calls. Been guys who have retired uh, who you wouldn't have thought would retire. So someone's obviously spoken well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's where I'm asking, well, what have we been doing about developing players while we were going so good? Where's the development in our coaching structures while we've been so, going so good? Hmm. Is it, have we been successful in spite of what we've done? And, and yeah. We've got to challenge ourselves to open the books and see what we're spending the money on. In my opinion, um, when we were winning Grand Slams in the first Gatland era, um, you know, it papered over the cracks. I, I think you, 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 you know, you're, you're probably right, but you're alluding to. I think we took our eye off the ball, and uh, I don't think I think the the regional game uh, and the Welsh Premiership underneath that was neglected. And um, I think um, part of the the reason everything failed under Wayne was um, was partly because of that. So um, yeah, I I think we're there are similarities between you know when you were there in two thousand and two, two thousand and three to now. So, yeah, yeah, let's say they failed. Like, what 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 is failure? What is success? When you you know you've got mm. success is easily defined if you just say it's about winning and losing. Mm. But but success isn't just about winning and losing. And I would say my time we were really successful. We, we we changed a whole lot of things. Yeah, we changed, we changed our attitude, we changed belief, um, and, and you know we had to drag some people kicking with us to do that. It took a lot of work. However, uh, were we successful on the scoreboard uh, results wise? Not as some, not as much as some of the others. But you've got to go now, guess usually successful, but now he's going to go through a period where he's going to have to commit to a pathway which isn't all about just winning on the scoreboard. Hmm. If he's going to turn it around. That's more yeah. that's just my opinion. You know, so doesn't make it right. It's what I think. And um the interesting thing about uh you know where you're at is is unless the people at the top want to buy into it, you won't change the other. Hmm. Because you'll just be a little pocket that are working way on your own and you might get a little bit of change for a short time, but then you'll digress again. Yeah. Um, obviously, we, we've got um, a World Cup around the corner. Um you go back a year and it was all doom and gloom surrounding the All Blacks. Obviously, they, they sacked a couple of assistant coaches, but a lot can happen in a year. Um, they seem to be in, in good shape against Steve. You know, are they, you know, are you expecting them to win this World Cup? What, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I don't expect anyone to win the World Cup because I know they're too hard to win. Hmm. But what I would say is, well, I think they're good enough to. Yeah. If, if they get the break, um, and the breaks are injuries, referees, 
uh, no red cards. You know, if things go their way, then I think they're more than capable of winning it. Um, they've definitely turned a corner. Um, and, and they've had to go through some adversity. I'm trying mm. to, you know, it's made them hungrier. Uh, we, they've got some talent uh, in the front row, which probably wasn't there in 2019. Yeah. Good scrummaging, good lifting uh, props, but we didn't have uh, real mobile ball playing props, not enough of them anyway. And uh, this group, uh, you know, they have plenty of those. Um, yeah, locks playing well. Uh, so that you know, when your type five play well, the Lucy's come into the game. Looks mm. like out small, and once you start going forward, and you've got people like Smith and Barrett and Nolungo and McKenzie um, handling the ball going forward, then you know, then you're in with a shot. You're going to be a hard team to beat. Yeah, um, it's a it's a it's a one sided draw. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to bring up. Is is how much is the draw going to make oh, an massive. impact? It's massive. There's five. I think that five it's top, top five. It's the top five in the rankings, isn't it? Yeah, like so. If you go to Scotland, a five, aren't they? Yep. Each four. Um, it's, it's a yes, yeah, currently South Africa, isn't it? Are we third or second? Don't know. I don't know. Yeah, they might, they might, actually, it might have switched around now. Um, yeah, it know, doesn't matter. It, like, it's, yeah. it is that, yeah. France, Ireland, South Africa, New Zealand and Scotland, all on one side of the door. So three teams are not going to, uh, in the top five in the world, are not going to go past quarterfinals. So, your Blacks, South Africa and Ireland might not go past the quarterfinal or any combination of that far. Now that's ridiculous. It is. I think. I think in our group, I don't know if it's still the same with the rankings, but certainly last week or the week before, the top three teams in our group are eight, nine, and ten in the world: Australia, Wales, Fiji. I think the order might have changed. I think we're tenth now, behind Fiji. But that's the top three seeds in our pool. What that does is gives you that side of the pole a real opportunity to get some confidence. Momentum is a big thing in the World Cup. You can build momentum. Um, momentum comes in two forms. One is uh, through training and play. And training really is like you know that who you're playing. Look, you look at all that ball. France and New York play each other off the bat. Then after that, you look at the pool, you think, well, we're going to, both those teams should win what's left. So you can afford to take a different attitude to your training week. You can really pull the work into them. And then when you get to the quarterfinal, you can say, right, oh, well, we don't have to do too much today. We'll just be short and sharp. The training's get time wise drop right down to what we're doing with bang, 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 bang. I mean, we know what we're doing. We put all the time and effort into it during the, the round robber. Now, um, whereas the other way is you build momentum just by keep winning. When you haven't been a winning team, like you look at Australia, haven't won a lot of uh, games lately, but they're playing well. Now they start playing, and their side of the pool, and they start winning. Confidence turns them into a monster. 
Like they lost two games to New All Blacks recently, and uh, and to Argentina right in the last minute. That won't happen because if they get the confidence to know that shit, we should be winning, we will win. You know, there's a, a mindset that's totally different, and so that's the that side of the pool is going to get a lot of confidence about how they play. If, if you know. Hope things go well for them. Absolutely. It's funny you talk about the parallels between 2003 and um, and and now. I mean, obviously, 2003, David Moffat basically said, win against Scotland or you're gone. Warren had a bit, a bit more of a vote of confidence. I think Nigel Walker basically said yesterday that effectively, regardless of what they do in, in the World Cup, uh, they won't be invoking a clause to get rid of him. That would have been a nice vote of confidence to have 20 years ago, wouldn't it? Well, I don't care. I've never, <laughs> ever, ever worried about being sacked. Because that goes against all the principles. I, I, one thing that's non-negotiable for me is team will always come first and then into second. So every decision I'm making is for the team. And if I get sacked making a decision for the team, I get sacked. I, like I, I enjoy coaching because the biggest thing I get out of it is not winning all the accolades and winning competitions and World Cups. And yes, they're lovely. But I, can, I love coaching because I can work with people and see them get better at something they want to get better at. That's the thing that gives me a buzz about coaching. And because of that, I don't care about, you know, you know if I get the sack from that job, I'll go and coach uh, a local club team. You know, and, and, and Johnny's not playing for the, for the All Blacks. He's just playing for... Wanaka rugby team, but Johnny's still achieving something that he couldn't achieve the day before because I've had a small help, you know, part in helping him do that. And that's why you get the buzz about coaching for me. I didn't care about good set in the least in the world. You always get a job taking a ditch or something, okay? They pay you for that. Absolutely. Um, I guess one of the other things that's sort of defined this week, I mean, by the time this podcast goes out, Owen Farrell may well be banned again. <laughs> but that's, it's just been a week that's almost defined where the sport is in many ways, isn't it? And it feels like something that's just going to continue to rumble on throughout the World Cup. I mean, like I said, we, we you know, by the time the podcast goes out, he might be banned again. But just what have you, what have you made in general of this whole episode of, First the red card and then it being overturned and just the whole situation around it. Well, if you take the emotion out of it and you take the person out of it and just say, look, it's player, player what? Um, yeah, what happened? Yellow card, turned into red. Okay, what happens then? You go through a judicial uh, process and he got, he got off. Now, you can count on one hand how many times Lord Rugby's jumped up, and usually it's because of, of pressure or around something or from someone. Uh, but if you've got a process, you've got a process, and we just have to live by it. You don't have to agree with the outcome of it, and, you, and, and you're allowed to agree with it. But the outcome is the outcome. So the committee that looked at that heard that hearing 
they, they weren't from England, so they had no benefit in letting him off so we could go to the World Cup. They were independent people. So tick, there's one thing you, you know that squashes it. So they've heard the evidence that on the on the day or the night when it was, um, and, and they've made a decision. Now, look, people are making decisions every day. We don't have to agree with them. But there's a process, and that's the process. World Rugby have now said, well, we don't like that. We don't agree with you because that goes against all the things, you know, people are having a bit of a... Are, are the keyboard warriors having an influence? That's my question now. Are they influencing World Rugby to say, no, we don't like it, so we're going to challenge it? And if that's the case, rugby's in problem. I don't know the answer to that question, but it's something I would be asking. Something about oh, The other thing is, you know, the reaction people have have taken towards Owen Farrell is way over the top. And, and, and it, you know, Owen Farrell will be able to cope with it with his eyes shut. But Owen Farrell's got a mother, he's got children, he's got a wife, and they can't. And it's not fair. So that's where, you know, there's got to be some protection of him um, so that's one thing. So the keyboard warriors have got to be shut down. Secondly, um, when you're talking about Owen, has he been here before with this problem? Yes, he has. So uh, player White, again, let's remove Owen. Player White, he, he's been in front of the this committee on three other occasions and found to be guilty. So... Technically, he's got a problem. So what are we going to do about that? That, to me, is the biggest, that's the biggest thing that has to be sorted. So that player white doesn't turn up again. You know, so if I'd been part of the, the England, uh, the World Rugby Appeal System, I, I, I probably would have said, right, oh, well, we've, got, we've got to trust the people that have heard the hearing. However, uh, I'd like some improvement on player White's tackle technique because he's he's been here now three times, four times, ten times, or whatever. And that's what we need to fix. And yeah. and it's an issue I think that red cards create because you catch them at the bottom of the hill rather than the top. Like the issue is already. It's, you know that we have to protect players' heads, but there's no point in protecting them at the bottom of the hill. So what's causing all these things? So you know, two men in the tackle, uh, body height at the ruck, ball carrier's body height. Like, how many times you see the ball carrier bend at the at the waist and go into a tackle with his head? You know, sometimes even lower than in, definitely lower than his chest anyway, because he's, he's dropped the whole thing down. Now, when does he take responsibility for his own noggin? Um, so let's look at how. And, and the other one is is anticipation. Like, okay, backs 
better anticipation when a player steps and you know they than a prop. And the best one, best example I can give you is Angus um, Tuavell, who what uh, red carded against Ireland, screaming at 200 miles an hour across the park, trying to cover inside uh, a back. The Irish boy stepped inside, and Angus didn't have a clue that he was going to step inside because he couldn't read the picture that was in front of him. And bang, they collided. Angus got knocked out, woke up and got a red card, committing foul play on himself. You know, so what what are we doing to help players anticipate the picture in front of them better so they can react faster or make better decisions? Are we spending time, money and effort in doing that? Are we spending time, money and effort on better tackle technique? Now, you've got a guy who's been to the Judiciary Committee three times for similar offences, you'd have to say no, they're not spending any, not enough time or not enough quality time on fixing tackle technique. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? He's been to tackle school once to take a week off the band, but that's the only time he can do it. He can't do that again now. Yeah, but, but, but look, tackle school, you know, we got the band, it's a joke. Yeah. Shouldn't, should you not just be doing tackle school for everyone compulsory anyway, regardless of you know t- taking weeks off the bat? It's the biggest part of the game. Yeah. And 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 trying to change your habits. How old are you? 27. 27. Trying to um, and a tough paper you round. Had, you have had for 10 years. There's going to be way harder than changing a, you uh, yeah. 17. When you've just developed the habit, so like this is where we've got to spend the time and effort in teaching our young people how to ca- how to tackle. And and you know I'm out of it. Two man tackles. If we if we turn around and said right, if you're a part of the tackle process, you can't you can't jackal, you can't be involved in the ruck. You've got to get out. We'd stop two man tackles. And and we speed up the game. And, you know, we're having a attacking game again rather than one that's based on defence because it's so slow. Like, ruck speed's so slow, you can you can form a wall defensively, so I can, I can afford to put two people on the tackle. But if, if the ruck speed's faster, then we can't. So there's things we've got to look at from a law point of view and be courageous enough to say, well, actually, we haven't got this right. Like, how do you shift a guy... His head's lower than his own hips. He's jackling, and you can't get under him. You're not allowed to roll him because you're rolling his neck, and rightly so, I might add. How do you get rid of him? Because you can't. So people will use the point of their shoulder to try and nudge him out of the way. Now you're going to hit his head nine times out of ten. That red card. So that tells me there's a problem with the law, because. You go back to the fundamentals in the game, it's got to be a fair contest. Well, the jackal now has become not a fair contest. So we either say, right, if he's got his hands on the ball, he gets it. Make some decisions that are going to actually stop us falling off the cliff rather than giving them a red card at, at the bottom of it. So when we go to court 
uh, we can turn around and say, well, look, I know there's a lot of people uh, with head injuries uh, who are struggling now, but this is what we've been trying to do and they won't change the naughty boys. We've been giving them red cards. So I, I think we need to look at it totally different than we are. Yeah. Because I think that's been the defining point this week is how crucial the legal representative was in this whole case. And and if we're getting to the point where we need, basically the legal representative is the one who is unfurling the laws of rugby and effectively making the decision that a referee couldn't make, then we're clearly in trouble, aren't we? Yeah, well, well, the laws are that complicated anyway. Yeah. Might be time to rewrite the rule book. Like, we talk about a ruck and there are, you, if you go ruck law, you look at rule book and that, and then uh, then you try and find the word that is most used in the game, the breakdown. You know, we agree with that. But breakdowns, I think, is a word that's used all the yeah. time. It's not even in the rule book. There's no rule about a breakdown. It's a ruck. Two people bound over the ball from one from each side and you've got yourself a ruck. Well, that never happens now. Well, you, you, you watch you watch the next game that you look at and see if you can find two guys that bind over each other over the ball. No, exactly. <laughs> if you're over the ball and I come in, I'm going to go underneath you and try and push you off it. Well, I don't stay over, we don't stay over the ball. <laughs> no. So... Yeah, you know, they're a little. It's got to the point where we've got to be really brave and 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 uh, just start it fresh. You know, and it's one thing league does better than us. Like they're 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 prepared to change things if they think it's going to help. One story that I I really want to sort of go back to if, from your sort of time in Wales it, it's something that yeah, colleagues have stories from the past you've obviously done you've got someone who's talking to you have you oh, some of the colleagues at the Western Mail they used to used to sort of regale tales more than they did work to be honest but that's that's another story it's it, it's a sort of story that there was probably a tough one a, a tough situation for you to deal with um, and that was David James dropping out of the squad mm. um, deal with he lied. But it's 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 the putting the, the, the hand on the car bonnet is the bit that always I enjoy about that. It's it's a it's a proper old school police trick. Oh. Like he was unlucky because I don't normally get up that early in the morning anyway. So <laughs> the, the problem we had was what I went back to earlier on and said, Yeah, we had a everybody wanted to do what was right for them. Now if if we were at a different stage in our time that team, would they have had to stay in the hotel all the time? No, they wouldn't. Have. But we had no unity. We had we had no one who was prepared to sacrifice anything for the team. So I said, right, we're staying in here. Now it wasn't that hard. It was a five star hotel, <laughs> you know. Like it wasn't as if we we're asking to stay in the in, in the outhouse out the back. Five-star hotel, meals provided, and the reason we're doing it is for A, B, C, and D. And A, B, and C, D are all about making this team better. So 
when people don't do that and then when you you challenge them and they lie to you, what do you do? Is there a consequence? Like if your children lie to you, is there a consequence? Or you say, oh, it's okay, you can you can tell four fights and all the time. Like the consequence was he didn't play. And if you don't want to tell us the truth, then you don't play. Now, Dave didn't like it and probably some other people didn't like it either, but uh, in the end, we 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 got to a point where actually, no, it's more important to put the team first here than myself. Mm. Things yeah. going good, I'll go good. So, you know, you've got to at some point stand up and be counted. So I stood up on, I was counted. I made decisions people didn't like. Uh, and, and as a result, they didn't like me. Well, I wasn't there to be liked. I was there to make Welsh rugby better. You know, and uh, I don't care if they like me or not. But I'll earn their respect by being consistent. And I'll, I'll earn their respect by, by making sure that I look after them when they look after the team. So who who was the um, who was the toughest player to deal with then? Who who did you who did you get the most resistance from when you did try and turn things upside down? Well, Alfie was probably the toughest because he didn't want to buy into it. You know, like yeah. Alfie, Alfie had his own demons that he was dealing with that none of us knew about, but he didn't want to buy into being a more professional. He had other stuff he had to sort of sort out, and. And none of us knew that, you know, otherwise, you know, we could have helped. However, um, you know, we sat down and we talked and, and I said, the door's open, Alfie, you know, like you're too good a player not to be in this in this environment. But you have to want to be better. You have to want to help us get better. You have to want to be the leader that we know you can be. And that means, you know, giving giving something of yourself to the team. And, you know, when he came back, as I said earlier, like he, he was just marvellous. And he wouldn't have got a better team person. Yeah. So, uh, neck on the line then, who's, who's going to win the World Cup? Well, I think the All Blacks will win it. There you go. How far will Wales, Wales go? Wales go? Well, snap. Uh, well, they'll go as far as well. They've got a a niggly little pool. CG will be tough. Australia will be tough. Um, but they, they're good enough to go go to the quarterfinals. Who do they? Who, who do they get in the quarterfinal? Well, probably England or Argentina. Like they, they get some momentum. They're good enough to beat them too. So. You know, like the tournament's not it's not uh it's not clear cut. And you've got France and Ireland both will be under immense amount of pressure. France because they're playing at home and and you know, we found in two eleven whilst it was good, it was also excuse me, created a lot of pressure because everywhere you went you couldn't escape it. Um Ireland because they've never been past the quarterfinals and they're number one in the world again. They were number one going into the last World Cup. You know, and now there's a massive expectation. 
and the expectation can do you know, make you turn into a wobbly green machine. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be wonderful to watch how they go because they're playing really well. They're outstanding. Both those teams are both outstanding rugby teams. Um, all Blacks have turned the corner and that makes them dangerous. People, people have ripped them off. You know, like a, an All Black team not being considered to win the World Cup is a dangerous team. Because I've gone through some of it. And, and they've proven that, uh, you know, they have turned the corner. Well, they'll be tough. South Africa are always tough. And Scotland playing good enough to just be cheeky enough. I don't know if they're good enough to win it, but they, they, they'll cause a heartache somewhere. No, Scotland are in the same pool as South Africa and Ireland, so that's... That's right, so it makes it quite a, a juicy pull. But Tonga's another side. Have a look at the players in the Tongan team. Like, yeah. So, you know, when I say the All Blacks are going to win, I'm only picking them because I'm... I've probably got two batches on my eyes, so I'm going to <laughs> back and a little bit of red. So... Um, yeah, and I'd love them to win it because of how they've treated, you know, Ian Foster. Twelve months ago, it was just disgusting. Mm. Anyway, and I'd love them to win it because, you know, whilst I've got a little bit of my heart is is with the last team, ninety nine point nine percent of it's with with <laughs> is black. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time there, and I was in the changing shed in '19 when you know we we didn't play well enough to beat England, and we let a we let a dream go. So, um, you know, for the, the 16 of those guys in that team, and they'll be they'll be hungry. Well, I, you know, for because I care about them a lot, I, I hope they they win it. Well, absolutely, I think they've got a very good chance. Um, I think that's it. For this podcast, Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on. I hope you've enjoyed going down memory lane. <laughs> yes, or well, some of them I did, some of them just, I don't. Just about, yeah. Um, as I say, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, if you have enjoyed the podcast, please do make sure to, to give it a review on, on all the sort of usual channels and stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks, Steve.